0: Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 975 and 1240 KFH. I'm going to Wichita. Hey Shocker fans, want the latest on Wichita State Athletics? Let's go right to the source with Shocker AD Kevin Saul. And welcome into
1: hour number two of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, alongside you here, Jad Chambers Producing. And we are joined, as we are every other week, by Wichita State Athletic Director Kevin Saul. Always appreciate these visits. Uh Merry Christmas week, Kevin. Hope it's been a, a good one for you and the family here.
0: Oh, well, Merry Christmas to you guys, as always. Thanks for so much for having us on your show and plenty to talk about, but uh, obviously thankful to to be here and be close to family and appreciate uh, everything you guys are doing for, for this community and our program. So uh, it's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Let's talk about the program and we'll start with men's basketball. We're now one game away from the conference season. So we will have uh, the non-con wrapped up by the time we talk to you next. So through the non-con then one more to go against Texas Southern on Thursday night, give us a grade your grade on on the season so far six and five right now, uh, headed into play in the American it'll be one more again. There, there's that game Thursday, but what's your grade through the non-con
0: for the Shocker men, <laughs> Jacob? It's a great question. I don't do we we don't do midterm grades. Um, we don't do preseason <laughs> grades. We don't do midterm grades. We we typically do end of the season grades in athletics. So. Um, we're, we're going to evaluate the entire body of work. I, I would tell you, and I don't think it um, would be much of a surprise to you guys, there's certainly been some, some real positives in, in terms of what we're doing, and then there's, there's been some challenges um, in terms of um, progressive steps towards improvement. So let's focus first on, on our, our positives. and um, I think you've got a, uh, 12 new guys that have come together relatively well um, you've got um, some quality performances um, at uh, at Richmond. Uh, certainly, that that proved to be a, a very good result um, there, and um, certainly appreciative of those efforts. And you look at our NCA team sheet, which I'm studying uh, daily as well. Um, certainly, been some uh, some good competition. The, the the games in Kansas City will prove to be quad two, quad three type games, which is good. Grand Grand Canyon and San Francisco. In fact, that San Francisco game just snuck into uh, into quad two. Um, We were certainly competitive um, against uh, two former Big Eight, or uh, excuse me, three former Big Eight, Big 12. I never look at Missouri and I think SEC, guys. I always think Big Eight, Big 12, (laughs) Um, even being in the SEC for 12 years. Uh, but very competitive um, in those games. I think the Missouri game, you know, one of the, the lessons that we learned with 12 new guys, we got to figure out how to close out games, which is, you know, the, the key uh, defensive or offensive rebound It's the ball security, which I would lump in. You know, we had 20 turnovers in that game and 13 of those were steals. Um, So that's ball security. I think rebounding is ball security, uh, hitting free throws um, in in times that matter. Those are the types of things you got to do to beat teams um, from the SEC and the Big 12. We show a very competitive performance against Kansas State and then uh, offensively just really stalled out in the second half. I think we scored, uh, what, 18 points in the second half and five in the last 10 minutes. And uh, really, what's interesting is you, 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 you we were subject to a Kansas State defense that produced that result. and then the flip was true in, in the Oklahoma State game, where we held them to, I think it was one field goal in the last 10 minutes and uh, just couldn't find enough offense to, to make that happen. So again, I think our our challenges revolve around the offense and, and what are we willing to do to adjust? Um, I've had a a blessed opportunity to be around some phenomenal basketball programs. And I would tell you, I always preface the conversation with I'm an AD that's watched a lot of basketball. I'm not a basketball coach. And so certainly have thoughts and work, work together very closely with, with Isaac on our thoughts in terms of of what we're doing to adjust and adapt uh, not only uh, prior to games and our scouts, but in games, um, how are we adjusting to what the, opposing team is showing us and and what is in our arsenal if you will uh, to respond because you all know that athletics is there's a lot of work that goes in on the front end in terms of scouting opponents and being ready and um, the the Muhammad Ali's and the Mike Tyson's of the world say a a game plan is great until you get punched in the mouth and and how are you going to respond and what's in your arsenal um, what's in your 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 quiver, if you will, that you can use in game, and so those are the things that certainly we're very, very focused on, uh, because we've got to uh, we've got to be a, a competitive program for league championships. Uh, we certainly want to compete well in the non-conference, and um, we've got some work to do there.
2: Yeah, Kevin, I think that that's a really good point because one of the things that we talked about, and I know a lot of people have quite a bit. Uh, after that game against Oklahoma State in downtown Wichita over the weekend was the one of 21 three-point shooting uh, in that game. And, and of course, you know, getting punched in the mouth, and that's not really working. And how do you adjust and, and do something different? But in the midst of those offensive struggles in the last three games, talk a little bit about the emergence of Melvion Flanagan on this team. Um, I think there's a, a really strong argument to be made that he's been probably the most valuable player over the last— three games for the shockers and that game against longwood, he was the spark that got the shockers back in the game. So talk about uh, his emergence and what he's brought to the shocker offense.
0: Well, I think you love the energy that Melvion brings for sure. He's, um, he's a gentleman that was in a junior uh, competed previously in a junior college in in Mississippi. And, and and Isaac, I think actually was teammates with his father. Uh, So there's a, there's a close connection there, but Melvion, I think was averaging 22 points. Uh, in that last year with the with the JUCO there, and <clears throat> certainly a very skilled offensive player, you know, as you as you bring in 12 new players, um, role clarity is is something you have to get to quickly. But it might be some of the some of the last components to fall into place. And so, you know, I think Melvion certainly had a role early on in the year where you're thinking you're going to get some solid minutes uh, from him, but but I'm not sure you thought you'd get five, six, seven three pointers. Um, in, in in our environment, so he certainly outperformed that. I know he's provided the energy and practice, and coaching staffs really loved what he's brought. So if you can bring some depth um, to that guard position, um, you know I think and uh, nobody's going to turn that down, right? You got uh, you got Porter, um, you got X, and 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 then obviously Melvion and. And again, if you can get into a solid rotation where the roles are understood, that can be a really uh, powerful element to your team. But uh, just happy for Mel- Melvion and the success that, that he's shown.
1: Let's flip over to the other side with the women, Kevin, because it's been a fantastic start for them. Uh, and, you know, we, we've seen uh, in, in general terms, um, I, I, think, I think we're seeing progress right now. A tough loss last night to Wyoming. Um, so we don't like to see that. But... A lot of wins there. What do you think of this team's chances in the American? Lost to KU, lost to Wyoming, loss at Omaha in overtime. Um, some pretty good wins in there as well. Having a hard time getting a, getting a real good grasp of, of what that means, except it's a lot more wins in the non-con than we've seen. So that's progress. But where is the progress when the competition ramps up here?
0: Yeah, no doubt. I, J- Jacob, I think that's a really good point. I, I am ecstatic as can be um, over our start at 9-3. and three. Um, Nine wins in the non-conference uh, is certainly uh, – nobody's going to turn their nose at that. And I congratulate Keith and our staff and our student-athletes are working really hard. And if you had a chance to watch the game last night, man, it was a, it was a heavyweight fight. It was um, – I don't remember how many lead changes there were. Um, maybe a dozen. Uh, different lead changes going down the stretch and so um, it was a, a, a quite high quality opponent and and that really brings me to my next point is that as you guys know it's not only about wins it's about quality wins as well and so as we look towards the the future and the success of our programs I give you an example like per Monday Wyoming's net ranking was a 106 well the top end of the of quad 4 um, is a is 101. So Wyoming is a squad when they, when they come in, they're a, a borderline quad three game. That's a quality game in the non-conference. Those are the types of games that we need to be playing. In fact, um, a lot of those AAC teams on the women's side, several of them, Cincinnati, East Carolina, even Houston and UCF, um, those are quad four games. And they're in that top um, portion of quad four, like the 100 to 150, if you will. Uh, what we will do as a program, and we've certainly sat down and talked about in future scheduling, basketball scheduling runs about a year, year and a half in advance. So certainly this year's schedule was set um, Is is we have a, a mutual and collective desire to increase our strength of schedule. And I'll give you an example. the Prior to the, the Kansas game, our strength of schedule was 360 out of 361 institutions. We've got to be better than that. Um, And we want to be better than that, because at the end of the day, um, when the committee is deliberating um, teams and their resumes, what you do in the games that you can control, uh, i.e. your non-conference strength of schedule, is a significant factor for the committee. And so we we need to be better than that, and we will be better than that from a scheduling perspective. Um, So we've got some great wins. St. Louis is a quad four, 194 in the net. Uh, Oral Roberts, 210, Montana, 215, North Texas, 234, and then it extends on down. You know, South Carolina State's a 360, New Orleans at 344, Southern's a 323, Alcorn's a 305. So for us, the adjustments that will be made is, you know, less 250 and lower and a whole lot more 100 to 150s. Um, so that you've got a chance to distribute your non-conference strength of schedule into quad two and quad three. Now Kansas, to their credit, that's a great matchup, right? Kansas at that time was an 18 in the net, and that took our strength of schedule non-conference from a 360 uh, up to about a 240. Um, so clearly, those are the types of of games that uh, that will certainly help us out. So as you guys have heard hundreds of times. It's not only about wins, it's quality wins as well. So we're ecstatic at the start, and uh, you're going to see very competitive team, um, even in that quad two, quad three, and high quad four space, um, just like you did last night with Wyoming. So we're very, very encouraged um, going into the season and, and really happy for, for Keitha and the staff and the squad um, for the success early.
2: Kevin, switching gears here very quickly. It's been about two weeks Since you announced that Eric Wedge will not be returning for the Shocker Baseball program, Lauren Hibbs will serve as the interim head coach during the entire 2023 season. Of course, we know that Coach Hibbs has a long time of experience as a head coach in uh, NCAA baseball. Talk a little bit about that transition and what that looks like for Shocker Baseball long term.
0: Well, Lauren Hibbs, as you mentioned, is 27 years as a head coach at at, uh, Charlotte, uh, formerly UNC Charlotte. And, um, has done some remarkable things in his career and some challenging circumstances at Charlotte even. And, uh, Lauren and I are, are, are certainly building a quality relationship and I've been here for just a little over five months. So, you know, we're listening and learning and evaluating everything that we've got. So we're, we're in a blessed position that we've got an individual that played here. We have an individual that coached with uh, coach Stevenson early on and, and a very magical run, um here as well. And, and, uh, he's a shocker at heart. And, uh, that certainly has resonated with our guys. I will tell you that under some challenging circumstances that the staff has performed really well. And, and Mike Pelfrey, Mike Siriani, Connor, uh, Behrens, Nate Briscoe. Um, they've done a really remarkable job in, in some challenging circumstances. So, and, and, and you see that with, you know, guys, we're in the transfer portal era and the transfer portal closed for, Uh, the fall component, uh, December 15th. And um, we didn't have any unexpected entries into the the transfer portal uh, based on uh, the circumstances that, that um, our program has, has navigated here this fall. That's a testament to the staff. Um, We've got a 2023 recruiting class. Um, We had 16 um, that uh, had not yet signed uh, before we started uh, in, getting into these challenging circumstances this fall. And all 16 of those have signed. Um, So those two data points are certainly points that we would look at and say, look, the staff's doing a really good job. So as we transition, I think it's important in all facets of our athletics departments, we've got to string together some really good decisions. And um, so we're going to take the time to to step back, take a deep breath, evaluate. Um, I've not yet you know, gone through a competitive season with this group and, and traveled with them and see how we're developing players. I've certainly uh, watched them at work this fall, and and we'll evaluate, and we'll make some really, really good decisions. Um, just do the next right thing and, and keep building our program, um, both within baseball and then globally
1: all right kevin when we talk about that world we've seen things you know that some teams that went out of the gates too quickly are maybe struggling it it is still the wild west how long do you think before i just heard i think it was on this, this station last night on on one of the national shows a former coach or current football coach i think sort of complaining about it so who who should be the person that regulates this, if it needs regulating, is it a conference yeah. issue? Is it an NCAA issue? Like, where can that come from?
0: Yeah, I think you saw the comments from the head football coach at uh, UT San Antonio, um, just in regards to the Power Fives uh, picking off the mid-major talent, and um, certainly that uh, uh, our current environment lends itself to that that being the case. I think what you saw. Um, is a, a membership organization in the NCA that made some, made some decisions and changes um, in a relatively hastily manner and uh, didn't necessarily think through the unintended consequences. And so what you're starting to see is maybe reparations for un- unintended consequences a little bit in effort to slow down activity through the transfer portal, whether that's a window that's been established um, for transfers whereas before it was wide open. Um, whether that is uh, consequences for institutions that accept 4-4 transfers that don't work out, uh, being responsible for their, um, their scholarship dollars and the student athlete as a counter on your maximum roster uh, limits. Uh, institutions now need to be in a spot where they need, they need to make incredibly good decisions on 4-4 transfers. Otherwise, it could be you get a second-year student-athlete that doesn't work out at your place. You could be on the hook for them both financially and from a a roster counting uh, component for two or three years down the road, and they may or may not be helping your team. Um, So I think you're starting to see some of those elements they're reining back in the unintended consequences that, that NPO guys, the situation that we talked about with Colby Rogers and that non participation uh, waiver that had Sienna signed that, that Colby would be playing right now for us. Uh, that NPO is going away. Um, and so as a four, four transfer there, there you will understand that there's not a whole lot of, of waiver maneuverability uh, once you, um, you're in, you get by your initial transfer from the original four, four-year institution to the next four-year institution, we all know that you can do that and be eligible and not have to sit. But if you're looking for the next place, you're going to sit for a year. There's such a very limited window and band of, of waiver possibilities once you get past your second four-year institution. And so those are three examples of how it's. I, I think it's getting reined in over time.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll see. I, again, I think the end game is I think the end game is going to be better than what it was prior, but it's going to take a little time. We always appreciate the insight into it, uh, Kevin, and we and we will, you know, we'll be along for the ride with everybody else. We'll see how it affects Wichita State, and and hopefully it's in a it's a net positive sooner rather than later for you guys.
0: Yeah. And, Jacob, I I think the combination of the NIL and the transfer portal really creates an interesting dynamic. And there is no doubt about it. We've spent a lot of time on your show, and I'm very appreciative for it, on NIL. And uh, NIL in its very simplest form is a tool that allows you to maximize uh, retention and recruitment. And uh, we work at it every single day uh, with our partners in the NIL space to maximize that. We've got some very important Um, elements that we've got scheduled after the first of the year to to help us create collectively uh, through those collectives a fighting fund um, that can positively benefit recruitment and retention. And uh, that certainly is going to be an important element of what we do. You've heard me say we need to align resources to expectations. We have expectations to win championships at Wichita State. That will require uh, recruitment and retention of elite-level talent. Uh, Which makes nil critical to what we're doing, so we're paying a lot of attention to that for sure.
1: Kevin Saul, Wichita State Athletic Director, joining us here. If you missed any of the conversation, KFHRadio.com. Let's do this again a couple weeks as we welcome in the new year. Kevin, appreciate it.
0: Sounds great. Happy holidays to you guys and your families as always. Thanks for having us on your show and go Shockers. Same back to you. All right, let's take a quick break.
1: We'll come back. We'll shift gears here on Sports Daily. Albrock and Cast are coming back on a Wednesday. Is this it Chad yeah this is it what is this
0: uh, this is one of the movements of uh, Vivaldi's win- uh, winter concerto
1: I mean I definitely recognize it yeah I like it one yeah. of the four seasons so it's pretty uh, yeah da, da, da. yeah 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 I like this okay yeah I'll count that I like it yeah that's and good stuff and it doesn't have any words that get stuck in your head so it's just nice music <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's part of the Christmas joy. I just got somebody sent a video. My <laughs> three-year-old was doing caroling at school today, and my wife and I were not able to make it, so somebody sent us a video of it. And he looks moderately interested. Uh, not terribly interested by any means, but, but he's there. Uh, I think everything my son is doing right now as it pertains to Christmas and participation is just not ending up on the naughty list. He has a very good understanding of the naughty list, and he's doing everything in his power, and sometimes he fails at this to not end up on that naughty list. And so, like, we got a picture with Santa the other day sent from his school, and he does not have a whole lot of interest in sitting in a stranger's lap right now, but it was like, all right, I'm here. Don't, you know, like, this counts. <laughs> like, get you know, let's, let's get this over with. Uh, that was the face sort of on the on the singing I just saw there during the break somebody sent me that video I get it I get it uh we're we're in a spirited online debate right now over you know greatest Christmas song with the number one eagles fan on the planet Jeff Lutz uh of Bob and Jeff later today happy birthday Jeff Lutz by the way it's it's an interesting debate i, I you know he's obviously gonna go Eagles uh and I'm I'm more privy to Robert oKane and we're sorting through, uh, sorting through that now. Uh, thanks, Tommy, for sparking that up. I get defensive sometimes of the music that means so much to me. Uh, you know that a lot of the stuff doesn't hit the mainstream. Like, you know, John Prine to me was one of the great songwriters of all time. Robert O'Keefe, like these are guys that are not necessarily in the mainstream. So when gems like "Merry Christmas from the Family," which is lyrically to me just heads and shoulders above everything because it is so true i gotta i gotta defend it it brings us to something tommy that we wanted to get into christmas movies yeah um this is an interesting topic because there are so many good ones but if you had to have only one because i almost feel like there are different categories of them but if you have to go into this where, where is your top one or couple that you just feel like are the best ever?
2: So I think you can make that same argument, by the way, about music too. Like I think it's okay to say Merry Christmas from the family is in one category in kind of a jokey way, right? And then you've got I- – maybe a couple of other categories i don't know yeah, I, I don't know that fair. it's
1: jokey i think it's true like if you but it's funny it, it, it's funny oh though. it's very funny but it's very true like like christmas when you get to the extended family portion of christmas that's when you get you know at eh, crazy cousin crazy aunt and so uncle so is,
2: is it unfair to lump merry christmas from the family in with like grandma got run over by a reindeer or, I mean, because I feel like you can lump yes. those two songs together in oh, no, I, kind of I think of that's,
1: I think, you know, all I want for Christmas is a hip or I want a hippopotamus. For, like, yeah. those are, Merry Christmas from the family to me is a very true telling of what it's like with the extended family around the holidays. But through all of these, you know, strange things and, you know, it's just, it, it hits so much to home. But in the end it's Christmas and everybody loves each other anyway. Like the whole flipping country right now could take a lesson from that song. Like, yeah, maybe everybody's lives are chaotic and, and some people you think what in the world's going on. But at the end of the song, Merry Christmas, man. Like we're all in this together. We're all having, having a good time. Let's just get some eggnog and bloody Marys and sing along and we'll all be in good shape. I, I think it's far more than just a hokey song. I think it's a very true song and a true telling of the holidays. Um, Check it out if you've never heard it. You can agree or disagree. We don't have the rights to play it here. We would play it for you, but um, movies, Tommy. I, I, yeah. um, so I lean to a couple. Uh, Christmas Vacation. You know, the National Lamp. I, I don't. The problem for me with that one is I haven't been able to watch it much lately because with the kids, it's, we're not quite there yet. Uh, but that to me is is probably the funniest Christmas movie, which is important um so i i'm a big fan of that movie we've obviously been on animated rudolph the last i don't know eight nine years so a lot of that has been meaningful but i think that you know i think for me and the time i grew up and when i consider everything a christmas story is great but i didn't watch a christmas story tommy till i was like 25 years old if you can believe that Uh, we didn't have cable tv so we didn't have the reruns growing up that everyone else had but the, the movie to me that I think strikes the emotion of Christmas the most that I never missed and, and just hit me like right in stride is Home Alone. Like Home Alone to me is, is the movie that reminds me the most of Christmas.
2: Yeah, I mean, you and I are right about the same age. And so we kind of, you know, came into the world of Home Alone around the same time and uh, Macaulay Colkin And, you know, yeah, of course, it's a classic. I grew up watching. A Christmas story every year but it was always something that we watched ahead of time Um, you know I know they do the 24-hour marathon on Christmas but um, you know it was always something that we watched you know before the holiday Um, that's up there Um, you mentioned vacation but I'm kind of like you with the Christmas story I didn't actually watch Christmas vacation until I was in my 20s and I love it and we in fact my wife and I Watched it last night. We put our kid to bed and we turned on Christmas vacation. Uh, But I didn't actually watch it until I was an adult. And I think because it's a little bit more adult humor, that was not a movie that I watched as a kid at all. But I love it. And it's got to be one we watch every year. Another movie, and I want to get your take on this. Another movie that I didn't watch, I'd seen maybe clips of it on TV when I was a kid and a teenager, but I didn't actually watch all the way through until I was an adult. It's a Wonderful Life. Where do you stand on It's a Wonderful Life?
1: I couldn't—I don't remember. Like, I couldn't even tell you what happens. I mean, I know I've seen it. Um, The other—it's hard, too, to watch these movies because you can't really remember which ones um, toe the line of things you don't want your kids to see, if you know what I mean, that I won't say here. But that's that also is a little bit of a challenge with it is you don't want to get into that territory that has— questions beginning to be asked when you have young kids, so you have to be careful there, too. Um, you know, I I I think that they're all good, though. Like, what was the Tim Allen Christmas movie? I haven't seen that in the years. The Santa Claus, of course. Loved that movie when I was younger. Yeah. I uh, haven't seen it in years.
2: Uh, so Jingle All the really... Way? Were you a Jingle All the Way fan with Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is that Schwarzenegger the Arnold Schwarzenegger? And... Schwarzenegger? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I liked that one. I liked that movie. I like all of them, honestly. Like, pretty much all of them. I don't like as much, though, like, the really... Like the ones that are overly emotional, I, I and I think that that's maybe that has like when our family gets together, the number one thing, and I'm talking about now my my family extended family, not my own kids and wife. Like the number one thing we do and try to accomplish is laughing. Like we we're always you know telling jokes. My my mom sends text messages to her local priest that would make them blush because she wants to see if she can get a <laughs> chuckle out of them. Like that. we our whole goal is like jokes and sense of humor and being smart Alex, and giving everybody a hard time it's just the way we are so like we're not going to get together and watch some emotional uh if it's not making us laugh we're not spending a whole lot of time with it as a family and i and i do as i get older do this I, like rarely am i watching anything that's not just either like cheap action entertainment or something that's going to make me laugh like i need to laugh that's just that's the emotion that the holidays bring about
2: so you strike me as potentially a fan of, like, Bad Santa. Are you a Billy Bob Thornton Bad Santa that fan? That was a
1: really funny movie. I forgot yeah. about that movie. That movie yeah. was awesome. Uh, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time. Obviously not yeah. when you're going to get together with the family, but that movie sure. was funny. That movie was really So here's funny. a hot
2: take A hot take for you. Uh, my, my least favorite—well, I don't want to say my least favorite, but a Christmas movie that everybody loves, it seems like, that I don't care for, that I don't really ever want to watch— I'm not a big Elf fan. Um, I like Will Ferrell. I don't like that. I just don't like it. I don't I don't care for it. It's not one that I would ever really want to put on. Um, I've only that seen might it be once. a hot take. I'm just not a big fan. I've
1: only seen it once, so I'm not going to pass judgment because I really don't remember anything about it other than Will Ferrell being Will Ferrell, which is – I'm with you. Is, he's always funny. But I don't I, – I couldn't pass judgment on the movie because I, I genuinely think I've seen it one time. And, and we're not movie people anymore as much as I would like to be. It is really hard to watch a movie now for several reasons for us. It's always hard when you have kids. But until like eight days ago, my wife and I for our entire marriage have worked the most opposite schedules you can work. There, there literally isn't the time in a day ever to watch one. Maybe on the weekends, but we found that like we can – You only have to spend an hour with a TV show so you can get through that much easier. So we don't see any movies anymore, and we never, like, sit down and watch a movie together. Like, it doesn't happen. Um, So we miss a lot of this stuff. I I hope that we can get back to movie theaters. We do love movie theaters. Our kids love movie theaters, so that's something I really want to spend more time with. But it's hard to find three hours now to watch a movie. You just it's hard to find that time anymore. So some of this stuff, like these movies that came out within the last, I don't know 15, 20 years, if I've seen them once, I'm lucky because I don't have time to see movies anymore. It it's really hard to, to carve that time out. So it is why I lend myself to the ones that I probably grew up with like that that, that I can remember because I've watched them a billion times, but the new none of the new ones, I haven't ever been able to do that.
2: Yeah, I think you've got a, a good category there of, of movies that, you know, you grow you grew up watching and you could watch them every single year. Home Alone and yeah. Home Alone 2 and, and you know, all, all of those, the Santa Claus and A Christmas Story. Like they're all up there. They're all classics and um, y- you never get tired of them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, no, they don't. And uh, yeah, Christmas Story, Home Alone, Christmas Vacation probably would be, I think, the top three for me. Jad, real quick, do you have a favorite Christmas movie? I'm going to guess Scrooge, right? No. The Grinch. <laughs> I don't know about favorite. Nothing. I I don't. I'd honestly kind of agree with you with Home Alone. Yeah, Home Alone's so good. It is so good. And it holds up too. Like if you yeah. watch it, it's funny. Like it's objective. Like we let our kids watch it for the first time last year. It's really good still, and the second one's really good too. Uh, they're both really good. Yeah, 869-1240. I, I liked,
0: I liked both ahead, Home Alone dude.
1: movies. You know, they're they're pretty good. I, it, I used to be a Christmas vacation guy, but I'm not entirely sure it holds up. I don't find it as funny as I used to. Yeah, the, those older slapstick comedies, you always wonder how they would go now. Dumb and Dumber is my favorite movie of all time. If it was released today, how would it be received? I, that is a, It's an interesting discussion, perhaps, uh, for another day. 869-1240, uh, time for you to let us know your favorite Christmas movie. And yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, we can put that debate right to bed. 869-1240. We'll be right back on Sports Daily.
0: This is Sports Daily on KFH.
1: Uh, Chad brought up a great point uh, just before we're coming back on. And help us on social media. You can tweet the show, tweet Sports Daily, Favorite Christmas episodes of TV shows: Tommy went The Office, and and the early Office iPod episode. I've got maybe The Simpsons and Santa's Little Helper, Um, but that's one we'd have to really spend some time and think about. So, uh, jog our memories, Uh, Jad. You were on Mash for some Christmas episodes, yeah. There's yeah, jog our memories on that. That's going to be tough. That's going to be really hard. Uh, I've spent far more time with television shows than movies in the last. Again, like 20 years of my life. Um, 869-1240, it is signing day. Signing day is a little bit different than it used to be, right? Because we have the early signing period. And, you know, as social media has grown, these kids are so eager to get their stuff out there on social media. There's not much, like, surprise left with signing day anymore. Um, so we, we sort of know what's happening. We know Dylan Edwards – flip to Colorado, which I think is going to be a really fun story to watch. We know K-State's class is coming through. We actually have a K-State bowl game special coming up on 12 News Christmas Day, and we did get together with uh, Avery Johnson, Will Anzio and, uh, and Wesley Fair, the three local kids going to K-State, big-time recruits. So you'll have that story coming up on Christmas Day on 12 News. But you know, I think the news for signing day, KU's actually flipped a couple of kids lately, Tommy. KU's had some success here in the last, I don't know, about a week um, to to get some kids over. And that's good because rightfully so. We've spent a ton of time on K-State's class. It's fantastic. KU probably has a better class than they're typically running out there this year, too.
2: Yeah, they've got a good class so far. And I believe that all 12 of their guys that uh, had verbally committed did sign their Uh, letter of intent today so that that's obviously important and they did flip a couple guys I know Calvin Clements was uh, someone that they flipped um, I think a couple weeks ago Uh, a few days ago they flipped Jaden Hamm uh, who's from Eudora and he was committed originally I believe to Arkansas and then the coach that that recruited him to Arkansas left to go to South Carolina so he reopened up his recruitment and Kansas signed him and we've talked about it before right Jacob like the opportunity for not only K-State, but for KU to sign in-state guys is really important. And so that's part of the process for the Jayhawks. Uh, I know that Avery Johnson, uh, Will Anzio, and Wesley Fair all signed their letters of intent today. So that's all done. And then also noteworthy, Dylan Edwards officially signed his letter of intent to go to Colorado with Coach Prime.
1: Yeah, it's well, Prime is going to be the story. I'm telling you, it's going to be the story all year next year. Win, lose, whatever happens, Prime to Colorado is going to be the story, which is why that was a, a great move for them. Uh, just puts the, you know, puts in a relevant program back to relevancy instantly, which makes, which is why it makes so much sense. Um, it, it is a fun, you know, you got Samuel Same from Derby. Uh, he is headed to Iowa State. It, it was a really loaded local class, and we've been very fortunate. When you go back to some of last year's signings too, that we've had some just incredible players uh, from our area run through, and will be big time college players to follow, and hopefully NFL players to follow. Um, but it, it is, I, I think, it speaks to an underrated nature of the. You know, people asked me when we first moved to wichita and this would have been almost a decade ago like what's the difference between you know high school football there and and in texas and I said well nothing is is nothing is going to make high school football as big as it is in texas i said probably top to bottom teams in general are more complete more often in the state of texas however there is More, at least now this is from the part of Texas I was from, which is a panhandle. This wouldn't be the case in like, you know, the DFW area or Houston and everything like that. But from where I'm from, where you have really good teams, but the individual talent around this area is tremendous. Um, And there are more, I, I cover more high profile signings now than ever before where I was just, you know, player after player after player.
2: Yeah, one more thing, Uh, going back to KU very quickly. Not only do they have a a better signing class for incoming freshmen than they've had in years past, they now have a top 25 transfer portal class coming in next season. So all the pieces are coming together for the Jayhawks program, kind of like they are for K-State too.
1: Well, and KU's going to have a little more opportunity-based transferring too than K-State. If K-State returns a bunch of players, they don't have as many fruitful opportunities as KU will have, so it's going to be good to see them both doing both. I think both teams get better next. Well, it's hard to say K-State will get better next year. Let's see who's coming back. But KU, I think, will get better next year. K-State, I think, has a chance to be as good, depending on some decisions made after the Sugar Bowl. We'll be right back and wrap up Sports Daily next. I
0: love this girl's a